Take your seats. It's good to be with y'all, especially uh, here to be with you during the ASA Asian Heritage uh, Month Chapel. Um, I'm, I'm really honored to be here. It's great to get the invitation from, uh, from do you go by Pastor Josh here? Okay. Senor Josh, uh, uh, who's, a, who's an amazing man, of, incredible man of God and a dear friend. And so I hope you know how blessed you are to have him. Uh, along with many other wonderful staff uh, like Thor and, and Jonathan, and uh, I mean, you go down the you go down the list. Um, today's text is actually going to be coming from Matthew five uh, verses thirteen to sixteen. Matthew five verses thirteen to sixteen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to open it up to that to to that uh, to that passage. Um, my goodness, this is not wanting to cooperate. Uh, and uh, if you're able, please do stand for the reading of God's word. Today's message is going to be a, a combination of a, a speech and a, and a sermon. We're going to talk about scripture, but we're also going to be talking about uh, a lot of other things. And we're going to interweave history and uh, kind of current events into it. Uh, and so uh, I hope it blesses you. Um, the word of God in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except for it to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Public Christian witness is under crisis. These days, it seems like there is failure after failure Controversy after controversy, scandal after scandal, the chasm between word and deed, doctrine and duty, belief and behavior, and orthodoxy and orthopraxy is growing wider and wider. You see the scandals, you see the sin and the hypocrisy that not only stains the church but poisons it. You see the devastation caused by church leaders and self-proclaimed Christians who are more committed to their political parties, dehumanizing ideologies, comfort orientation, and an unjust status quo than to a cruciform life that's marked by generosity, righteousness, justice, and love. You see how people will say one thing to your face and then another thing behind your back. How people make promises that they don't intend to keep. And they say how they care about something when they really don't. You see how cheap integrity is. You also see how so many churches in America remain neutral in the face of injustice or even actively resist efforts towards true shalom. You see how the church is often a vehicle which perpetuates racial injustice and covers up abuse instead of dismantling it and, and, and addressing it. You see how the church is bringing about more hurt than healing and how often it seems like a country club for self-righteous saints instead of a hospital for sinners in need of grace. 
Things like this are leading to studies that show that 40 million people who were raised in Christian homes are likely to walk away from Jesus by the year 2050. 40 million young people. That's 1 million, over 1 million young people each year until 2050 that were raised in the church. People today are asking questions more intensely now than ever about how faith in Jesus makes any difference in the world. They want to know whether Christianity extends beyond the four walls of the country club-like church. They want to know how knowing God leads the people of God to be salt and light in this world. And in many ways, this is one of the reasons we started the Asian American Christian Collaborative. It was late March of 2020. Stop API Hate, an organization that was founded by uh, three members, including uh, one who was just named, uh, or who were all named as Time Persons of the Year, but one who was a devout Christian and also uh, on the board of our organization. Um, they just report, released a report in 2020 that documented 673 instances of anti-Asian hate between the week of March 19 and 25, the first week that they actually started collecting data. In one week, with almost no publicity and awareness of the effort, they gathered nearly 100 reports a day. Stop API Hate's reporting mechanism was particularly helpful because they provided statistical data to the many stories that my friends and I were regularly hearing about and even experiencing vicariously through people that we knew. You see, the, the history of Asian America reveals that when it's convenient to blame Asian Americans for any societal issue, we are blamed for it. All throughout history, we have been scapegoated as something called yellow peril or a plague to society that threatens the fabric of the country. Throughout history, Asian Americans experienced waves of heightened discrimination. After completing the railroad that connected the nation, fulfilling what was uh, labeled as manifest destiny, Chinese people were viewed with suspicion and deep prejudice. In Los Angeles in 1871, a mob descended on the Chinese community and killed 19 people, which became the single largest lynching to take place in the history of the United States. In 1875, the Page Act was passed, which prohibited Chinese women who were broadly categorized as sexually immoral, a stereotype that has persisted to this day and has yet to be broken as as, as we see how women are objectified and fetishized, especially if they are Asian, from entering into this country in hopes that it would curb the population growth of Chinese people. This then led to the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which at first banned Chinese people from entering into the United States, and then expanded into the Asiatic Bard Zone. Good luck translating that. I, I don't know if you're able to, but... I don't, know how, I, don't, like, I don't even know how to translate Asiatic in Korean. You're, you're amazing, by the way. And do you say, like, when you're amazing, do you say, I'm amazing? <laughs> how does that work? 
she's amazing. Um, but then it expanded to the Asiatic Bard Zone, where people from the majority of Asia were prohibited from entering into the United States. This was the first essentially race-based immigration ban that we saw take place. Then during World War II, 120,000 Japanese people were incarcerated in, in, in mass in concentration camps all throughout the country, at least two-thirds of whom were American citizens. While German Americans were taken more on an individual case-by-case -case basis, Japanese Americans, by and large, were clustered together as a collective threat. Again, simply considered a threat for existing in, as people made of, Jap of people of Japanese descent. One of the most um, impactful stories I think I've heard uh, around this uh, kind of time period and this event was when an elderly Japanese man was visiting the church that uh, I was at and I was serving at and he told me that when he was a child and after he had heard of Pearl Harbor he, was, he pretended to be John Wayne as a Japanese child Japanese American child third or fourth generation American he pretended to be John Wayne shooting down Japanese planes in one moment and the next moment, he and his family were rounded up and thrown into a concentration camp. In 1982, we saw the murder of Vincent Chin, a, a Chinese-American auto worker who was mistaken for being Japanese as the Detroit auto industry was struggling to compete with Japanese automakers. Japanese slurs were thrown at him, and it was during his bachelor party, and it became so much that they eventually took him out back beat him, and bludgeoned him to death. 2001, we saw, after 9-11, we saw a rise in violence against brown Asians who were often wrongly stereotyped as terrorists. Several people were killed. Even my South Asian and Arab-American Christi Arab Christian friends told me that they were regularly called terrorists and screened at airports for simply existing in the bodies God gave them. Which brings us to 2020, when a virus as infectious, as infectious and as deadly as COVID-19 is associated with China, and someone who holds the most powerful position in the entire nation, and perhaps in the entire world, starts calling the novel coronavirus Chinese virus or Kung flu, those of us who even had a basic or cursory understanding of how racism functioned against Asian Americans or Asians in America knew that we were in a season of overt violence. Sadly, even with clear evidence, however, racism against Asian Americans is frequently minimized or dismissed, even by members of our own community, as we are incentivized to do so by adhering to something called the model minority myth, which is a myth that both conditions to us to accept whatever treatment we receive in order to gain more of society's rewards, while simultaneously using our communities to disparage other racialized minority communities, like the black and brown communities, by blaming them for their unique struggles. So as we saw the rhetoric uh, calling COVID-19 the China virus by the President of the United States, reigniting sentiments uh, that 
Asians were yellow peril or a plague to society and how that rhetoric started to emerge within the churches we were in fellowship, including by elders, leaders, and pastors, we grew increasingly concerned. So in order to preempt some of the violence, several of us got together to drop the statement on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19. I still remember being up at 3 a.m. for multiple days with my vice president, Michelle Reyes, who's Indian-American, to write the draft. We got input from several others whose names are on the statement. But what I didn't expect was that in the first month, we would get over 10,000 signatures because I was expecting most people to just kind of breeze by it. You see, it's helpful to know that for a while now, people have been asking me to start something for Asian-American Christians. Uh, to which my consistent response was maybe at a future time or maybe at a later date. And the reason I always kicked the can down the road was because I knew it was hard to get people to care about Asian Americans, including fellow Asian Americans. But Asian American Christians seem to be the most difficult to convince. You see, as Asian Americans, we often like to be together, but we don't like to be seen together. The ways we are rendered invisible in society and within the broader American church makes us hyper-conscious of how we are perceived when we are visible. And so we don't want to be seen as second-class citizens, so we don't want to be seen with one another because we know in the racialized imagination we are all considered second-class. But when we started seeing thousands of people sign on to the document, including a host of leaders, many of you, you would know because they're Christian famous, from major Christian organizations and institutions, it, it really became clear that this might be the moment where we would form something to serve not just Asian American Christian communities, but friends of our communities and those who wanted to stand with us and work with us and partner with us. So quickly we pivoted to, to forming an organization. One of the people who had asked me if I would ever be interested in starting an organization for Asian American Christians had actually put money aside uh, for a few months uh, in hopes that I eventually would. And as soon as I told him that we were going to launch, I remember him and his wife Venmoing me the money that they had been saving for six months, which was extremely encouraging in a, in a season of deep exhaustion. Then through an African-American friend named Charity, lawyers from a significant and prominent law firm offered to incorporate us pro bono, and they still work with us pro bono. A host of volunteers from college age to working professionals came out of the woodwork to help fill in gaps. We had people who were in college to those who worked with college students, pastors and organizational leaders, editors and artists, find ways to serve the Asian American Christian community in such a difficult time through the work of ACC. And over the course of the first year, we actually accomplished quite a bit. Shortly after we formed the organization, we launched an online magazine called Reclaim, which we hope serves as a repository for Asian American Christian thought, reflection, theology, and perspective into current events. I essentially want people to have a, a, a record of how we were thinking now and in the future about all the world, all that we were experiencing and how we were theologizing through it. What's been most incredible is that people who wrote articles with us, something I invite any of you to do as well, uh, they were being platformed on media outlets like Now This, I don't know if you've ever heard that, where their article that reached like 10 to 20,000 people on our site uh, turned into videos that were reaching over 2 million people through the Now This platform. 
We even got an email from a production company that was working uh, with Lisa Ling to put a story together for CNN who had read an article on our site and thought that one of our articles might fit within this, one of their episodes or one of their stories. But beyond the, the magazine, we also launched a podcast uh, also called Reclaim, which was identified by Christianity Today as one of the top 12 podcast, podcasts to listen to. And in addition, as, as we were watching how so many people were trying to get, navigate um, the rise of anti, uh, navigate discussions around the, the rise of anti-Asian and anti-black racism and violence, we put together a couple of resources to help the church and the world understand how a gospel reality really helps us to engage in real social issues. You see, one of the most common things I was hearing over and over from pastors and leaders all throughout the country, Asian American and not, was how they were never trained or equipped to navigate what we are going through in the world, in their seminary education or in their churches, and they were constantly looking to us to, to come speak or provide, produce resources that they hoped could serve them. And all of these resources are available on our website at AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com or AACristCollab.com. But I do remember feeling like we were burning the candle on both ends. I mean, it's been like this for over two years now. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary. And I'm still doing this, like, full-time job on top of a full-time job. But I felt like we were doing this to meet the moment. And from the feedback that we were getting... We were producing materials and resources that were both timely and relevant while being deeply Christian. But as black lives continued to be taken, it felt like our efforts needed to move towards creating deeper understanding and healing for the African-American community, but also to help African-Americans and Asian-American communities promote deeper solidarity and cultivate a true unity. These efforts then were accelerated by the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, which led to the deep lament and growing sense of urgency to get the Asian American Christian communities to stand for racial justice, regardless of who was impacted. And then just a few miles away from here, George Floyd was murdered. It's tragic that we have to know his name for this reason. As I mentioned, we had been tracking with anti-black racism and the efforts outside the church because far too many segments of the evangelical world had been silent, resistant, or even actively opposed to standing for racial justice, including many of our own community members as Asian American Christians. But as I was watching the discourse around anti-Asian racism, one of the most consistent things I saw was how Asian Americans who had left the Asian American church get so disheartened, discouraged, and even devastated by the screaming silence of their predominantly white churches that they left, with many going back to the Asian American church, and many of those churches also exhibiting the same characteristics as the white evangelical church. But when we saw the daylight murder, the daylight lynching of George Floyd, 
we, like the rest of the world, joined in the protests and the marches led by black churches and black leaders. I marched probably like every other day, it felt like. And while I was marching, though many Asians marched, because I could see them, you know, it's kind of like when you buy a car, you see your car everywhere. My radar was up. As I saw many, we were still sparsed out. We were, we were, we were sparsely, you know, like we were, we were kind of distributed unevenly. And so people, did, people were constantly asking me, where are the Asian Americans? Where are the Asian American Christians? So I decided to put together a march for Black Lives and Dignity, which I found out that Josh was at. I connected with friends at CCUC, a historic 100-plus-year-old Chinese-American church in Chinatown of Chicago. And I contacted my friend, Pastor Charlie Dates, of the 100-year-old Progressive Baptist Church, who offered his church to be the destination location of the march. And the interesting thing about all this is that the two churches, though about a mile and a half apart, down the same street, they had never interacted until the march in their 100-plus-year-old history. And what we were doing was we were, we were, we were trying to have, create like a symbolic representation that we as Christians were bridging the divide between black and Asian Americans, beginning with the church. We had between 1,000 and 2,000 people show up for the march. And the most consistent thing I heard from Asian American Christians was, who were initially reticent to go was that it was one of the most powerful and formative, spiritually formative experiences that they had ever had. They were like, I worship more in the streets than I do in the worship hall. But I also heard from several African Americans that the march changed their life. One leader named Jonathan Banks told me that, that seeing me organize for another community helped him realize as an African-American that he could distribute and care for other his care for other communities as well and that, that, that liberation for one has to lead to liberation for all. But in that march, so many people were able to see how Jesus and justice had been divorced for too long within their churches and how a Jesus without justice was not a Jesus that we see in the Bible. And that their faith compelled their feet to move towards injustice. The march seemed to capture the imagination of the, of the broader world as media outlets everywhere were covering our efforts. There were, and there, the, the common question that they were asking was, what led thousands of Asian Americans to organize a march for Black Lives and Dignity? And to this, my constant response was my desire to seek the welfare of the city that what happens to one member of the body happens to all members of the body, and that we are called as Christians to, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Now, after the summer ended, things started to slow down for a couple months until the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. You see, throughout the pandemic, in addition to the Burmese family that was stabbed, including two children under the age of six, at a Walmart at a Walmart or a Sam's Club or a Costco in Texas, I believe, 
uh, because someone said that they brought the virus to the country. They're not Chinese, and not all Chinese people brought the virus to the country, nor were all Chinese people, are, should they be blamed for bringing any virus anywhere. An elderly woman had acid thrown on her. Uh, an, another elderly woman had, 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 was lit on fire as she was walking down the street. Another elderly woman was drop-kicked while simply waiting at the bus stop. Several other cases kept getting highlighted throughout the media. But as we were rounding out, the 20, uh, rounding out 2020, we were starting to witness another uh, series of violent and heinous attacks that were getting captured by uh, the news streams. We were witnessing people get attacked in broad daylight. 84-year-old Thai man, Visha Ratanapakti was killed as he was taking a walk. Noel Quintana, a, a Filipino man, was, had his face slashed while he was exiting the subway with a box cutter. And Angelo Quinto, another 30-year-old Filipino Navy veteran, died after, the poli after a police officer had his knee on his neck for several minutes. Just a few months after George Floyd was killed. It seemed like week after week, a new video was being released. And by February 28th of 2021, Stop AAPI Hate had reported that anti-Asian incidents had risen to nearly 3,800. Then in March of March 16, 2021, one year ago yesterday, news about a shooting in Atlanta broke. As the story unfolded and details emerged, it was clear that this was a targeted attack on Asian women. Eight people were killed, six of whom were women of Asian descent, mostly working low-wage jobs. And they were killed by someone who was raised in the church who blamed his evil act on sexual temptation, not accounting for the reality that Asian women, again, are often racialized to be objectified and fetishized and as a result are seen as easy targets of violence. Once that happened, it became clear that a response was needed. And I think I stayed up at, until like 4 a.m. that morning uh, or that night writing a piece for RNS, which went out the next day. And then I checked in with my students at Wheaton, uh, which I'm, I'm sure that many of you will have a friend there, so you can tell them that, I, you, know, that you saw me here, uh, that it was clear that our Asian American and Asian students were reeling, especially our Asian female students, I told them to get rest if they could, and that I would check in with them in the morning. Nothing changed. Most of them stayed up all night. They cried uncontrollably. The Atlanta shootings tipped them over the edge. So when I called them again the next morning, we decided at 10 a.m. that we were going to host a prayer vigil uh, right in front of chapel. And then about 100 people showed up, including, including uh, students, staff, faculty, and administrators, our senior cabinet. Tears were shed, and I just remember breaking down over and over as I cried out to God. The students at Wheaton continued to ask for support, and so several faculty members and I planned a series of events to process all that was going on, mostly centered around caring for Asian students, being mindful of the things that Asian women were experiencing. And at this point, all throughout the year, we had been trying to reach out to African-American students who basically said, just take us out to a meal. We don't need anything else. We're pretty numb, and we're pretty exhausted. So that's all we did. We just keep taking them out to meals. 
And it's through the efforts that we had with uh, faculty members and uh, you know, at the college that the AACC college chapter uh, was birthed at, at Wheaton. But I still remember one of the events, uh, one of my female Korean-American students who was from Atlanta and who was very familiar with the area where the shootings took place, which happened 30 minutes apart from each other, she stood up in a room like this full of 100 people uh, and asked Asian-American students to raise their hands if their churches had addressed the shootings the Sunday after it occurred. And only a few hands went up. I remember her saying how disheartened and disappointed she was that even in the midst of tragedy, that a tragedy that impacted so many people, that they were still neglected and ignored. While all this was taking place at Wheaton, I got in touch with some pastors in Atlanta to see if there was anything that we could do to support their efforts. And working with local leaders, we, we decided to host a prayer rally in Atlanta, and the date was set for March 28th, just two weeks after the shootings took place. Providentially, it just so happened that I would be in Atlanta already to officiate a wedding of a former student of mine. But as we began to announce that we were going to be hosting this rally, which was going to be broadcast all throughout the country, uh, a, a black female pastor named Tiana Coleman, uh, who's also a friend of mine, uh, asked if she could help organize anything for us in Chicago. Again, for over a year, I've been living in exhaustion, and I, the last thing I wanted to do was add another thing to my plate unless it was necessary. But she was at the Black Lives and Dignity March that we hosted the year before. It was so encouraged by it that she, she wanted to do whatever she could to help us. At first, I said, no way. I'm, let me think about it. I, maybe, maybe if uh, we can figure some other stuff out. I was working with the, with, the, with the people in Atlanta. I was like, I don't know if we can do much more. But she was like the persistent widow. I said, can we help? Can I help? What can I do? And I just said, you know what, let me reach out to a couple other pastors and see if they want to jump in. And so they did, and we basically started organizing Chicago. Then I reached out to a few other pastors to see, maybe we could do this all throughout the country. I reached out to pastors in L.A., San Francisco, and in New York. All three of them jumped in. Then little by little, one city after another, we had 14 cities involved, including one here in Minneapolis. And I don't think any of us could have really imagined that the turnout, about the, the turnout we had uh, from Los Angeles to San Francisco, Seattle, Minneapolis, Detroit, uh, Dallas, Houston, Austin, D.C., Maryland, Boston, Chicago, New York, and of course in Atlanta, we had thousands of people show up across the country at the same time in rallies in 14 cities to stand for AAPI lives and dignity. And I think as I keep talking to historians and asking, has anything like this ever happened, regardless of race, creed, or whatnot, I don't get an answer that anything like this has ever happened. It was unbelievable to watch. It was like watching the whole country light up. We had many people who drove across straight state lines to attend these rallies, and it wasn't uncommon for people to drive five or six hours to, to, in one direction to, to attend them. Some even planned to drive from Detroit to Atlanta until Detroit was announced as a city. And I could tell you story after story like this of people who drove for hours to lament, to mourn, and grieve with fellow Asian American Christians all throughout the country because many of their churches didn't do anything or say anything. And through it all, the most consistent thing I heard was how powerful it was to hear the voices of Asian women who weren't afraid to speak against the evils that they were witnessing. 
I had people texting me all over the country about how powerful these events were. These rallies felt like one giant cathartic event that declared no to the evils of racism through the gathering of believers and everyone who attended throughout the nation, regardless of their race or gender, shared how their faith was deeply nourished by it. And a week after, back in Chicago, we hosted an event that had been planned for months entitled the Black and Asian Christians United Against Racism at Apostolic Faith Church. Powerful messages and testimonies were shared, including responses by young black and Asian Christians. A few months later, we hosted another conversation that was very similar with the Latino community uh, at, at the Brook Church of Chicago. And uh, Sam George of Lasan, the Lasan movement, who was one of the panelists, responded by saying that this was the first time in his 30 years of ministry that he'd ever been to an event like this. He's done global ministry for decades. I never thought that we would be quoted in the Washington Post or CNN or USA Today or Vox or Essence Magazine, which is a magazine for black women. I never thought that ABC would include us in their Juneteenth special because of how Charlie Dates and I partnered together. I was one of two non-black folk in an entire special that featured Barack Obama and John Legend, and I was the only guy, Asian guy, on a Juneteenth special. I had no business being on a Juneteenth special. I also would have never imagined that non-Christian entities like Fortune 500 companies and governmental agencies would have any interest in working with an organization that explicitly had the word Christian in it. And whenever I was invited to speak into certain issues with the White House or with the mayor of Chicago's office when they asked me to serve on a commission to combat racism, the first thought I had was, do they even know what the first C in AACC stands for? Do they know that it means Christian? And whenever I asked them why they invited us, they would often say that it was after they saw the work that we were doing and thought that it would be good to have a faith perspective in the room. Through it all, what I believe is that the world was seeing our good works and giving glory to our Father in heaven. And I, just kept I just kept thinking, salt and light, salt and light. Uh, I'm, I'm almost done, but as of September 11th, 2021, Stop AAPI Hate has reported over 10,000 cases of anti-Asian hate since the beginning of the pandemic. And since then, we continue to see Asian Americans being attacked and killed, whether they're gunned down in Chicago, as they are picking up a newspaper like Woom Sing Su, was an elderly man whose son-in-law is, son is a pastor, or pushed onto the subway tracks like Michelle Goh or like Christina Lee, who was followed into her apartment and then stabbed multiple times to death. And seeing even just a couple days ago how an elderly woman uh, was, was attacked 125 times, beaten and stomped on, just for walking into her own property. But it's not just the Asian American community at risk. It's also the indigenous communities, the Latino and Latina communities, poor whites and African American communities that are at risk. Even after George Floyd, we continue to hear the names of black lives that are taken needlessly, like Amir Locke and Deshaun Jackson. 
As we keep pressing forward, whether the numbers continue to grow at the rate they have been or not, one of the things that we know is that we are called to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, to be light and salt in the world. And as a result, we know that there will always be work for us to do, whether it's for Asian Americans or for other communities. And what's incredible is that even just because of our work, uh, just last month, I was invited to preach at a prominent historic black church in the city of Chicago as the first Asian American preacher in their 107-year-old history. Uh, as I've been doing this work through AACC for two years now, I've been moved by how many people have been encouraged by our efforts. However, the most meaningful responses are when young people like you find your faith strengthened and your imaginations sparked. I love hearing from you how AACC deepens your faith in Jesus and how it transforms the ways you seek to live out the kingdom here in this world. As, as people are asking, what does the gospel mean for the world? I love being able to say everything. We're still, as an organization, trying to figure out and grow uh, what we'll look like as we mature, uh, especially as we're constantly looking for ways to expand our team and expand our reach. Um, but as we do, one of the things that we're committed to is both telling people of the things that, that uh, telling people and showing people all that the good Lord Jesus is about. See, as Carl F.H. Henry once wrote a half a century ago, Social justice is not simply an appendage to the evangelistic message. It's an intrinsic part of the whole without which the preaching of the gospel is truncated. Theology devoid of social justice is a deforming weakness of much present-day evangelical witness. As we continue to press forward, it really is my hope that we are salt and light to the world as we let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify God our Father in heaven. Amen? Let me just give us a, give us a benediction and y'all can leave in peace. You know, if you'd like to stand, you can stand. May the God who is above all things and the Lord Jesus Christ who entered into this world to heal the brokenness and the Holy Spirit who dwells among us and activates us to live out the kingdom in this world. Speak to you, empower you, challenge you, and encourage you as you walk out from this place. May you go in peace today. Amen.